I figure the Lord knows what He wants to say. and he, He's perfectly able to let me know ahead of time what He's going to have me say. And occasionally He does. Uh, but most of the time, He lets it be a surprise as much to me as to you. <laughs> uh, but while I was uh, on the way over here, well, let me first say this. While I was sitting here listening to the singing and watching your faces and listening to you clap and praise the Lord, I thought, well, this is good. Let's build a tabernacle here. <laughs> then I realized, well, we there's a mountain and we're on top of it. And we are. This is a transfiguration. But we know that uh, you got to go down and there's other places and people to be and you got to take what you got here and take it out there. Yeah. And you don't have to do anything to do that. You just have to be who you are. Absolutely. Now, I didn't know that at first. Because <laughs> I thought once I came to the Lord, I had to be something different. Uh-huh. The only thing that was wrong was really in the, in the, in the way that I thought and the way that I understood things. Because once He came into me, shooting match came in. When the Holy Spirit entered me and uh, brought along the Father and the Son with Him, the three amigos, I got the whole ball of wax. But you don't know that at first. You think you've got to change and be different and improve yourself and do all these things to become holy and pious and uh, act like what a good Christian ought to act like. So it's partly a learning process, but the learning process is all by revelation of the Spirit. It's not that we just think it out or we can read it in a book and we can take a test on it and they can go, okay, you graduate to the next level, you answered all the questions on the test right. We might get the answers on the test right. We may have all the Bible knowledge that, that there is to have. But that doesn't necessarily get you an A on the test. Absolutely. What I, what I saw here this morning, the, the Scripture that came to mind, not even sure where, where it is, I think maybe Peter, pure hearts with love unfeigned. This is a place of purity of heart where there is only one life, one life being demonstrated, one power. Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. What's left? I mean, what's left out of all? Now, there's, there's other people out there claiming they got some rival power. Well, the, the joke's on them. And they're going to find out it's just a joke and come on in and hang out with us. That's alright. So, I thought we'll start and we'll see where the Lord goes with this. I just wanted to start telling tell you a little bit, a story of how I learned the meaning of the Scripture. Trust Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Back in the 70s, I... The first place I came went to after uh, was born again uh, up in Georgia and um, far north of Georgia and uh, the Lord told my wife and I to go to California to Monterey California and it wasn't just out of the blue the guy that led me to the Lord led us to the Lord over the phone from California and he was a member of a kind of a hippie church and that's sort of where we were and he and he said. Uh, come on out here and, and uh, you know be with us. We were, I was 21. She was 19. We had just had a baby. Uh, our ba- our first child was two months old, and we had a 1959 VW bus with a great big giant doghouse set on top of it that somebody had 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 sawed apart the middle third of the roof and set it what looked like a doghouse on top of it, and to make a camper out of it. Now, I don't know if y'all know much about Volkswagen buses. Of course, they were standard issue for all hippies. But uh, uh, we they had 40 horsepower motors in the back. And and so uh, that's not a lot of power. And, and then you add a probably 500-pound doghouse on top. But that's what it looked like. 
like it was made out of five-eighths thick inch plywood and and then you know it stood about this high off the roof and was painted beige. In fact the whole thing was painted with house paint beige. And it was a pretty pretty thing. And uh, my uh, my wife came out of the house one day and that see you know, I'm one of those that when I found Jesus I went nuts. I just went crazy and I've been crazy ever since. And uh, like Paul Simon in his song says, still crazy after all these years. Thank God I'm crazy. Thank God I don't make sense. Because there's only one who does. And we trust Him to make sense inside our spirits and reveal Himself. Whatever my outer words are, make little difference. Because what's happening here is the Spirit is speaking inside you in your heart. Anyway, my wife came outside one day. I was up on top of the bus. And I had a big, I had a bucket of fire engine red paint and a big old brush. She said, what are you doing up there? Kind of disgustedly, and I said, "I said I'm painting Jesus on the on on the front and back of this doghouse, and in letters this high, I, in bright fire engine red, I painted J E S U S on the front and the back. And then, of course, I went down to the Christian bookstore and bought every bumper sticker they had. So there was no doubt when I was going down the road who I was, you know, talking about. As you know, I remember sitting at an intersection one day, and a guy rolled down his window and he says. You're kind of serious about this, aren't you? <laughs> yes, sir, I am. Of course, kind of hut, cut down on hitchhikers because they were real plentiful back in those days. And I'd ride down the highway and they'd be like this. They'd see me coming, they go like that. I'd pick them up anyway. <laughs> um, but anyway, the Lord took us out to California in that bus. And um, we were there for several years, and like I say, I didn't I didn't know yet who I was, and this was a great place for training, uh, trying and trying and effort and effort and trying to be more and do more and give more and dedicate more and all of those things that a lot of us are taught in our early experience in Christ. So in uh, um, Christmas time in 1977. Um, my mother, who was going through a difficult time at, the, at then, uh, sent us some money because we were full time in the ministry, which meant we didn't have any money. And uh, uh, she 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 sent us the money to drive home to Georgia for Christmas. And by that time, we had three children. Uh, we were we took the commandment of the Lord seriously in that regard. <laughs> However, we stopped at that point. Uh, but uh, but we had, so we lo- by that time the the old VW bus had died and we had a a uh, newer 1968 Volkswagen Squareback that somebody had given us. Love loved that car. And so uh, my mother sent us the money to to drive home to Georgia. And so we were going home for Christmas. And um, I was still not, I didn't know yet how to trust the inner voice of the Spirit. Yes. And you get, you know, this was a Pentecostal church, so we were filled with the Spirit, tongues, all that stuff, knowing that, Christ, that the Holy Spirit dwelt within us, but still had to listen to some outer teacher or outer minister to, yes. to tell us what to do. Still didn't know inside me who I really was. And that's okay, because it was all perfect. It's the Lord's way. Whatever way the Lord takes you. You know, I've seen a lot of people come out of things like that and then they they hate what they were. But you can't hate what you were because you were believing during that time. You were walking in faith. And I was walking in faith in the life that the Lord had given me. And, And faithful to that by His grace... And so this is all I knew. And I went, remember I went and talked to my pastors. I, I didn't get in to see the pastor. I went, so I saw the pastor's wife, sort of the second in command. And uh, I said, told her about us uh, wanting to go to Georgia for Christmas, which is, you know, quite a, quite a ways. And she said she didn't think it was a good idea. But she didn't say, the Lord is telling me to tell you not to go or anything like that. She kind of left it up to me. So we left, um, and typically, uh, with my little family, if we're leaving at you know eight in the morning, it's about two in the afternoon before we finally pull out. But uh, which is what happened then? And we drove from Monterey, California, down to Bakersfield, which is. Um, 
We had planned to be all the way out of California after one night, but that's as far as we got. We were dead tired, and we finally pulled into Bakersfield about 8 o'clock. Got a room in a motel. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and I heard sirens, and I saw lights flashing outside the motel room, so I looked out, and the air was orange in the street lights. And I couldn't really tell what was going on. I thought maybe there was a fire or something. And after I satisfied myself that the motel wasn't on fire, well, I went back to bed. Then I woke up early the next morning, and I looked out, and... um, there was a hurricane going on. Only it wasn't a hurricane, it was a sandstorm. And if you uh, if you can go back and, and check the records, the sandstorm of 1977 is, is big in the records. It's like a major hurricane back here. It was like a major hurricane uh, that happened in, de- in the Mojave Desert in, uh, in, that, in that year. And But I was a Georgia boy. I never saw anything like that. And what, what it was was trees were doubled over, you know, they were they were horizontal to the ground and sand was just blowing you know at 100 miles an hour i never seen anything like that and so we thought well we'll just get in the car and go so uh, we of course the sand leaked into everything is inside the car even though the windows were closed I mean it's amazing I've never seen anything like that so anyway we got everybody packed up in the car got our stuff in the car set out on the road. We were about five miles outside of town, and visibility was getting so bad I couldn't see to the pew uh, on the on the uh, highway. And so my wife and I said, we prayed, because I was getting really scared, because I couldn't see in front of me, and I knew that people in back of me couldn't see me. And so I prayed, I said, we, we prayed, Lord, if you don't want us to go on, please show us. In Jesus' name, amen. And that amen was not outside my mouth. And and when all of a sudden it was like a dump truck opened its load on top of my car and a a load of dirt, sand, dust from the storm just fell on the car like that, stopped us cold on the road, dead. Engine stopped. Now, if that's not a sign from God, I don't know what is. No, Lord, I'm looking for a sign. Can't you send an angel to tell me what to do? So, you know, we took that as, okay, I think that's our answer. We're not going on. But the car wouldn't start after that. So I got I was scared somebody else was going to be coming down through there. So I got off and out of the car and pushed us over to the side of the road. And after about 20, 30 minutes, the car started again and the, the air cleared. And there were people parked and, and stopped all over the place. I had not seen any of the people. There's state patrol, there's all these cars that had all been stopped by that same dump load of uh, dirt that fell on them. And we were right at an exit in the freeway, so we just got on the, turned around, went back to Bakersfield, went back to the same motel where, thank God, they had a room. And we stayed there the next night. Now, because I had... My pastor's wife had said to me, I'm not, I don't think it's a really good idea. Now I'm here, now I'm in condemnation. But when I get in condemnation, I do it big time. Okay, I'm thinking, well, I didn't obey her. I didn't obey what the Lord told me through her. And I'm like Jonah. The Lord has sent this storm to Southern, destroy Southern California because I'm going home for Christmas. So I'm in the bathroom. The family's asleep and I'm in the bathroom of the, of the uh, place praying. And... Um, Anyway, I, I, I get peace about continuing on. So the next day, they didn't open the roads until 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So uh, the state patrol finally cleared the highway, and we rode on out. And um, as we're going, we got to the place where he, we had been stopped. And then once we got beyond that... It was. Y'all remember when the first Gulf War happened, and they showed the road that the uh, Iraqi soldiers had were taken out of Kuwait back to, um, you know, back to Iraq, 
and how decimated the, the, the U.S. forces had. I mean, they had just bombed all that, and it was just devastation for miles and miles and miles. And that's what it looked like. It looked like a, a war zone had happened. Cars with their windows blown out, filled with sand, tractor trailers turned over, train cars turned over. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. It, it was like a war had happened. And it was all dust and wind and sand. And thankfully, I think everybody got out alive. But that's what we were stopped from going into. And then, so we drive and drive and drive, and that's the Mojave Desert, and there's nothing there. And so in the middle of the Mojave Desert is a place called Barstow. And so about 7 in the evening, we're, we're getting to Barstow, and... Um, we, we kind of debate. Well, shall we stop and get something to eat or just press on? Well, we're hungry, and so we decided we'll stop and get something to eat because it was a long way till the next stop, which is Needles, California, which is on the border of Arizona. And uh, those are long distances out there. So we decided to stop. And as I pulled, up, pulled the car off the freeway onto the exit ramp and pushed in the clutch, I heard the engine going... Which, to those who know engines, that doesn't really sound like it. It was the 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 sound of a rod tapping against the inside of the engine. I, I, a rod was had broken inside the motor. Well. In typical optimistic fashion, I told Janice, my wife, I said, well, oh, that, that noise doesn't sound good. Let's go to McDonald's and eat, and then maybe it won't sound like that when I start it back. <laughs> It'll get over it, you know. So, well, uh, we went and I had a double cheeseburger or whatever and came back out, started the motor, and just... So I knew not to go any further, so we went and found the cheapest motel we could find. And here we are. This is the third night. We're still not out of California yet. Um, so we you know, get there. I take my car the next morning to the Volkswagen dealership, which says they want seven. Yes, it is a thrown rod, and they want $700 to fix it. Well, the same thing would cost about $2,500 now or more. But that, was a, that might as well have been million dollars at the time. So I didn't have $750 and I called my mother and I said, I don't think we're going to be able to come. And she said, well, I'd send you the money if I had it, but I don't have it. And so we're in this in this little motel in Barstow, California, out in the middle of the Mojave Desert. It's three or four days before Christmas. And we're down in the dumps. I mean, I'm telling you, we're down in the dumps. And like I say, I didn't know a lot yet. I believed in the Lord, but I'm thinking, why is this happening? I don't understand this. And I thought, well, maybe if I can get hold of some church people or something. And I tried calling around. Called the, I, 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 we were going to an Assemblies of God church at that time. And I, I called the Assemblies people and they didn't seem overly concerned to uh, help us in any way. And so we stayed there that night, and we only had enough money left now to put, get on the Greyhound bus and all of us go back to Monterey without our car. And so that's what I was about fixing to do. And then my mother calls up and says that one of her friends wanted to give her a gift because she wanted us to come home so badly. She hadn't seen one of the, the, the third child. And... Um, uh, she and he gave her a gift of flying my entire family from Las Vegas to Atlanta, and um, all we had to do was get to Las Vegas, which was three hours away on the Greyhound. Now, this is going from bad to worse, so let me warn you. Okay, so all right. Okay, we're saved. We're gonna get. We're still gonna get to go. So now, of course, one of the children comes down with what we used to call thud in our house, throw up disease. Uh, when one got it, everybody got it. And you're lucky if it didn't start over, you know, in the, uh, after they were done. But anyway, one of them gets sick, so he's throwing up. He's the. They were. They were two. They were one, three, and five at that time. So the three-year-old's throwing up, and. So so um, we, we had taken a, a good bit of our stuff out of the car, but the rest of it was locked up in the dealership. And so when I got the call that we had to be in Las Vegas by the next morning at like 6 in, or, or 8 in the morning, 
the dealership was already closed and we had a lot of our stuff in there, Christmas presents, my wife's guitar, um, and I tried, I walked all over town, I called everybody I could think of trying to get somebody that would open the dealership and get my stuff, nobody would. Finally I gave up on that and the only way we could get there was take a bus at 2 a.m. Um, and luckily the bus station was in walking distance so we took our sick kid and our other two kids with all our luggage and walked down to the Greyhound bus station at 2 in the morning, got on the bus, rode to Las Vegas and we're going to take a taxi to the airport. And so we took a taxi to the airport um, and we finally got to the gate where the flight to Atlanta was. And as we arrived there, the ticket agent's taking the Atlanta sign down. Well, I just kind of noticed that because I had to run to the bathroom real quick. And when I came back out of the bathroom, my wife's crying. I said, what's wrong? She goes, they've canceled the flight to Atlanta. I said, oh my goodness. So the ticket, or the guy at the gate says, well, go up front, you know, to the front airport to the ticket counter and they'll reroute you. So we run up there and they reroute us back to California, to Los Angeles, and then from Los Angeles to Dallas and then Atlanta, which, you know, okay, that'll do. So we got to, we got to Los Angeles and if you've ever been in that airport, it's huge and they have various, they have different terminals for different airlines and we had 10 minutes to change planes and terminals and at Christmas time. So, and this is the days when the Hare Krishnas were all around at the airports and everything. And so, so I, you know, we get off the plane and, and I tell, I take, I take two kids and she's got one and I tell her, I'm running, keep up with me. And so I start running through the airport and then a Hare Krishna guy gets in front of me and says, sir, and I go, no! <laughs> Didn't have time to deal with him at the moment. And he gets out of the way real quick. We run, we catch our plane, and we made it home for Christmas. Now, I've left out the most important part of this. I've told you the story, but I didn't tell you what was going through my head. Um, as I was driving across the desert to Barstow, that scripture came into my mind that I quoted in the beginning. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Well, that's it went over and over and over and over in my mind. I didn't know why it was. But and until I pushed in the clutch and heard that engine knock. Now that was the Lord setting me up. Because no matter how far down you can go, He is going to deliver you. And He lets us go into those places so that we might see His deliverance. You know, I used to think it was something I did or something I said or something I didn't do. And now I know He runs the whole show, including me. And so so, so when it says, in, in all thy ways acknowledge Him, first I thought it was like order my life. Try to get this right. Try to get this right. Try to work on patience. Try to work on love. Uh, you know, try to be more attentive to my Bible study and my prayer and all of those things. But when I really realized what that meant was, Lord, You are all my ways. All my ways are You. You're the one who's living this life. You're the one who's expressing Himself here. You know, I, we, somebody says something in, in the song service about, about living in the world. And we live in the world. And, it's a, and we can we can be uh, totally free in living in the world because we don't live of the world. We, we live to bless the world. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. So we... The, so. There's a sense in which in the beginning of our life we turn away from the world because we think it's all this outer stuff that, that it is. But then later on we find, well, we can work with that. Jesus Jesus came and He ate. he was a friend of publicans and sinners. He was a friend of everybody. The only people that were upset with Jesus were the real uptight religious folks who, 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 who couldn't handle that these outcasts loved Him because He loved them first. Because love is the key. Love is the central reality, but it's not something you can work up. It's not something that you can become. It's something that you are because of the one who lives in you. 
So there's no method of love. There's no formula of love. There's a person of love. And the person of love is the person who lives in us, in you and me. And He lives it in perfection. We don't, we, you know, if we look and judge our lives, we think, well, I'm not this or I'm not that or I should be this or I should be that. He says, don't lean into that kind of understanding. That's not the kind of understanding. The understanding that you lean on is me. As Bud said, I don't know how to come out, go out, I don't know how to come in. And I'm the same way. I really witnessed to that when he said that. Because I've gone... I started this whole business of going out and testifying of Christ almost since the first moment I was born again. Well, in fact, I did. The moment that Jesus Christ made Himself real to me was Christmas night, 1972. And I lived out in the country in Georgia, and I was out under the sky. And it's a long story, I won't go into it, but there were four other people in the house when I came in. And every one of those people came to Christ. Two one that night, two in a month, and one a year later. Because the life wants you, once it's in you, because it is love, it has to flow out. Because love is a debtor. Love is a debtor, and, a, and, and what, it, what it's a debtor to is to meet need. Love is to love. Love has to, to be love. Love can't do anything but flow out and give of itself because it is not about itself. Love is about reproducing itself and being a continual outflow, a continual expansion of love reproducing love, reproducing love, reproducing love. It's not about knowledge. Knowledge is good. Knowledge can, knowledge is wonderful. But but Paul said, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Love builds up. And so so I, I appreciate the fact that the Lord has had me in the Word. And I know, you know, I, I can know where things are. I know where the books are, uh, most of them anyway. Something like Nahum, I'm not quite sure where that is. I know it's in the back part of the Old Testament. But, you know, there's, there's a lot... But that's not the point. Yes. I came home from one of these little trips that I take uh, back a few years ago, and I thought, I thought, oh, I really, I'm, I'm really deficient. I've got to know the Bible more. Well, I've studied the Bible for a lot of years, and I thought, I've really got to know more. I, because I was out, and people are asking me questions and wanting to know this and wanting to know that, and all of these things, and and I wrongly thought. Well, then the Lord lets me wrongly think so He can right-think me. And uh, that is a wonderful life. Because once you see the reality that He's got you and He's not going to let you go, and all by ways that you can acknowledge Him as this being His way in you, then you can go through the negatives and the positives and know it's all Him. It's all Him. He, he works all things after the counsel of His own will. And none can resist His will. So the Lord let me think that I needed this more Bible study and preparation for a bit, about five minutes. And they said, now where does, where, what word are you talking about? I'm the Word. Absolutely. And I flow out of you as I will. Uh-huh. And so well, you just open your mouth and I'll speak. Yes. I just go up and then just, you know, comes out. Yes. Because this is because we trust in the one yes. who, as I said in the beginning, is all power. Yes. There is nothing left without that he is not in charge of, that he doesn't run, that he doesn't purposely caused to happen. He causes us, it says in Ezekiel, to walk in His ways. So I've learned to be able to listen and to trust this life of Christ in me. As I was driving over here yesterday, or Friday, I came to Orlando on Friday. I spent the last two days with some other folks. And I usually am on these trips with one or two other people at least. This is the first time I've ever been alone. And as is the way with a lot of things that you do in the Lord, uh, before you start your endeavor, there's all sorts of obstacles that suddenly all you know come up. Oh, this can't happen. It's not going to work. We're not going to get to go. All kinds of things get in the way. And, of course, the Lord lets all that happen, causes all that to happen so that you might see, you know, the... The Israel Pharaoh didn't have to have it in his mind to chase the children of Israel across the desert to the Red Sea. 
God put that in his mind. And he put those soldiers behind, you know, chasing the children of Israel right up to the edge of that sea so that they might see that it was not by might, not by power, but by his spirit are we delivered. Stand still and the Lord shall fight for you. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. And so we're still inside. And when that and when you're still inside, then there's no there's there's this this activity that happens inside you goes from goes from up and down and up and down. But what happens as it flows out, it's it's kind of like a car a car. You know, a car, you sit in your car, and especially our modern luxur- luxurious cars that even the, the most basic cars have, you know, we have we have climate control, air conditioning, uh, radio or tape player or CD player, and you know, you don't even have to do clutches anymore. You just press a you know, press a little thing and it, it changes gears for you, and it's all comfort riding. My grandmother used to say, Oh, this is the most comfortable car I've ever ridden in. And and she always said that every time we went anywhere to eat. She said, the best food I ever tasted in my, put in my mouth. She loved to eat. I think I inherited that from her. But, uh, but you know what drives that car? What makes that car work? What enables us to sit in comfort while we're going over bumpy roads and in hot humidity or cold, cold frigid air uh, is this dynamo of heat that's working in that motor. These, these things are turning and going up and down and there's all this friction going on. And this friction that happens through, through a, a, a positive and a negative like electricity, like electrical energy, as that friction happens, what comes out is light. What comes out is power. What comes out is comfort. What comes out is we could call love because it's making us comfortable. It's enabling us to go in, in all this comfort, but it comes about through this through this tension. Same thing with the Brother Harvey mentioned the sun, S U N. Do you know the sun is actually an atomic explosion? That's what a star is. It's all these gases that are going around and it's causing and it's a, a scientific process called hydrogen fusion. And that and that hydrogen fusion uh, creates this vast outflow of energy. Now you can't get into that. You know, it says if you have a wrong relationship with the sun like getting too close to it, it'll burn you to a crisp. But if you're in a right relationship to it, like on planet Earth, 93 million miles away from it, then you bask in its in its beauty and its warmth, and it, and it gives life to all things on this planet. Well, that's what you know. God said, "I'm a consuming fire," and the Israel, the children of Israel couldn't touch the mountain. Why? Because they saw themselves as just flesh. They still didn't know yet what Moses knew that. I can't do it, Lord. You're going to have to do it. I can't deliver the people of Israel, but you can. And Lord, the Lord said, the Lord had to convince Moses of this. He said, I'm going to do it in you. You're not going to do it. I'm going to do it. But you just all you do is you go and you appear before Pharaoh. I'll do the rest, yeah. and that's what we do. Absolutely. And out of but out of this out of these tensions, out of these tensions and these ups and downs and these you know positive and negatives that go on in life, this is where the life of God begins to come forth and and in power and love and praise and glory. So that it took the, it took the children of Israel right to that sea, so that so that, that Moses could demonstrate to them. And they still only knew, you know, it says in Psalms um, that the children of Israel knew his acts, but Moses knew his ways. And so this is what our privilege is as we grow up in Christ, is that we first know his acts. We know what he does, the things he does. But then as we begin to know his ways, that we then we're no longer scared when when you know winds blow, you know, when the storm hits. Because we know that the one who is in the back of the boat asleep and unconcerned is said he's gonna wake up and he say, Why are you so fearful, oh you of little faith? Be still. Well, that's what happened to me on the beginning of this trip. All kind of things that were, you know, looming in my way to prevent my coming on this trip. 
And I woke up Friday morning when I was supposed to be off, getting off. And the first thing that occurred hit my brain when I when I woke up was, I can't go. There's this, there's this, there's this, there's this. But all these people I've told I'm going to come. So I said, well, Lord, I've got to keep my commitment. He said, why are you fearful, oh, you of little faith? <laughs> Be not afraid, only believe. So I just rode over here uh, from from Pensacola, leaving Friday morning. Left two hours late, as usual. Um, I'm going to start, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter what I do. If I say, say, well, I'm going to say I'm going to leave two hours late, then it'd be four hours. I'll just stick with my two hours late. But the whole way over here, the Lord just continually repeated to me, be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. All power in heaven and earth is given unto me, and I live in you. And because I live in you, all power in heaven and earth is given unto you. Not for displays of shows and make ourselves something and get a white suit and go on TV and things like that, but that you might bless the world with the life of God, the life of Christ, which seeks not its own. And it lifts to, it doesn't lift to puff itself up, but it lifts to bless you, lifts to give life to you. And that's who we've become. Because that's who we are. We are that. We are this 1 Corinthians 13. You know, when I first started reading the Bible and I came across 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and the the description and the definition of love that it gave there, I seemed to myself so far away from that. Oh, well, I'm not that. And so I aspired to be that. Little did I know that I was that. And I am that. Because I am as a being. Whose is this? I'm beholding myself as I am. I see no fallen man. I'm the infinite expression of His glory. Is this yours? I'm beholding myself as I am. I've passed through the realms of all sorrow into His marvelous grace. Now I can say I am happy. I'm beholding myself as I am. As I heard y'all testify and, and to one another and give her messages during the song service, I thought, Lord, I don't have anything to say to these people. They already, they already got what I, I'm going around telling folks. And so I'm just confirming it because there's nothing I have to add to you. You know, I'm just confirming what the Lord has already given you. That you are He walking around in the world. As He is in the world, so are you. I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And when you see me, you see the Father. I always do those things that please Him because the Father that dwells in me, He does the work. Because now we're the new. And we demonstrate the new. And we portray the new. We express the new in everything that we are and everything that we do. So we live free. Because you know this life can't work unless it's out of freedom. If it's out of some kind of compulsion, out of some kind of rule keeping, some kind of thing like that, well then that it's stunning. It has to come out of freedom. Because love is only out of freedom. You can make somebody do something, but he's not going to love you for it. You know? But you can love somebody and they'll do things for you because they love you. So we were loved first. Like 
you said or somebody said, when he gets ready, he start, he's the one that draws. Because I, I look back at my life, and, and as Brother Harvey pointed out, I was a hippie, and I, I, I was happy being a hippie. You know, I didn't. You know, I, I, I did the things I did, and I wasn't too particularly unhappy with it. I mean, there were some. You know, everybody has frustrations and fears and things like that. But I didn't think I was anybody, anything any different from anybody else. And suddenly, my life, I just began to get this draw to God. Yes. And my friends did. And I didn't know why. I don't know why. You know, why didn't they get it? Was God speaking to everybody? But they, I'm the only one that heard. I don't know. I don't know any of them. I just know that He started to draw me. And then when I finally saw, kind of like when you see a movie that you really love and you think, I've got to go tell everybody about this movie. And it's the greatest movie I've ever seen. And they go, eh. <laughs> you know. And that's the way I was about Christ. Well, now that I see, well, everybody else is going to see too now that I see. So I went and told them, most of my friends and most of them didn't see. Then, it's been a lot of years since then and quite a few have. But it's, God draws us. We don't twist any, I've twisted people's arms into accepting Christ before. <laughs> I've just about had it. Yes, sir. Would you, would you tell us about when you met Norman Grubb? Well, the first time I met Norman was in 1973. He came to an Episcopal church in Rome, Georgia, where I lived, and I went to church at the time. And I didn't understand a word he said. All I knew was that he, all, that, all I heard him say was that that you either sell for self or sell for others. And um, in fear in Christ, yourself for others. And that's really kind of all I got, got out of that. And because I was a brand new baby Christian, so most of what he said kind of went like that. I wasn't uh, at the point to hear that yet. Uh, the next seven years I spent in the group I just told you about, and that kind of took a nosedive and became a kind of an abusive place. And so. Um, I uh, left there. My wife and I decided we'd go back to Georgia, and uh, and we were really broken. We in the seven years uh, uh, being there, I started out, praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord, hallelujah, every moment of every day. To oh, woe is me, what's happened? Where's the joy of my salvation? I'm not. I'm, I was so in condemnation because I was so not this and so not that, and afraid of the devil and afraid of the dark, and I was just in a bad state and I didn't know anybody who I could talk to and I remembered uh, this brother Norman Grubb who had been a missionary in the uh, Congo in the 1920s and I wrote him a letter and I'm, I'm very wordy normally and I'm even more wordy back in those days so I wrote him an extremely long letter I think I told him about every conversation I had in eight years everything that anybody had said to me and uh, and I sent it to him and I didn't hear for a couple of weeks this is before the days of email and instant gratification and uh, so a couple of weeks go by let me just say this the group that I was in we were taught that to try to make everything outward to be perfection. Like if you write a letter, there's no mistakes, there's no erasures, everything is typed on an electric typewriter, everything it's got to be the Lord's, it's got to be perfect. Okay, so we're always striving for this outer perfection. So I got this letter from Norman Grubb, it's a little envelope like that. Open it up, and first of all, he had a typewriter that that was missing some letters and, and, and then it had a bunch of X outs and some, some erasures and some whiteouts and things like that, and and he had a, the period on that typewriter punched a hole in the paper every time he typed. It. You know, and good thing he typed though, because no man alive could read his writing. Um, his granddaughter could, but she was the only one. Um, but I got this letter back from him that said, and it was just like a two-liner. It said, I don't really have time to get deep into this with you right now, but I find that you, because I asked him, did I do the right thing? Should I go back to these group, these people and resubmit myself to them? Because it's one of those places where you're under submission. And he, and he wrote back and he said, I find that you've done the right thing to come out and make the Lord's fresh start. 
That's all he said. And but what what it was like? Heaven opened up, and the glory of God came down because I. It was the first inkling I began to have of treasure in an earthen vessel. Because here's this little bitty letter with all kind of mistakes and erasures and funny looking things on it, and from an old man who at the time was 86. And 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 I thought, oh, praise the Lord! This is treasure in an earthen vessel. I began to see that this might be a cracked pot, but there's treasure in it. So, anyway, a couple of weeks later, he writes me again and he says, I'm going to be near your, near where you live. I lived in Rome, Georgia at the time. I'm going to be in Kennesaw, Georgia. And I'm going to be there on such and such day. Why don't you try to get together and come down and we'll have a talk. So, Janice and I went down there. It was in September of 1980. And... Uh, uh, went to the address. He was staying at someone's house, and in the afternoon, everybody was gone. He was the only one there, and so I knocked on the door. He opened up, and the first thing I thought was, "This is the oldest man standing I've ever seen," because <laughs> he was kind of hunched over, and and uh, he didn't look like he had a lot of life in him, really. And he said, "Oh, oh come on in." He was gruff. He was an Englishman. Oh, come on in. So we sat. We sat on a sofa, and he sat in a wing back chair across from us and uh, he said oh, what can I do for you and uh, so I started telling him going through my litany all the stuff that had happened to us all the way we'd been abused and all the stuff that we needed and I got to a point trying to prove my humility of course I said of course I know I need ministers above me to guide me well, up until that point, he'd just kind of been slumped over in the chair. And he's kind of like that psych- the, the psychiatrist in those commercials on TV that's snoozing while the guy's talking, you know. I thought, oh, he's not even listening, you know. So, anyway, but when I said, I need ministers above me, well, uh, both the lightning came down out of the sky, figuratively, went through the top of his head, straightened up his body, his arm went out like that, and he said, you don't need any man to teach you. You have the teacher in you. Well, I tell you what, that word reoriented my entire life. It's like I was spun around a different way. You know, because... I, you know, I, I love the scriptures from the first moment, and, and one of the most precious scriptures is the woman at the well, where he says, I'll, "The water I'll give you will, will ever will be always coming up, and you'll never thirst again." And here I was doing nothing but thirsting. Why am I thirsting? You said I'd never thirst again. And I saw that moment in that in that in that conversation. Oh, I know where you are. I know where it comes from. It's not from me. It's not something I work up like a pep rally for a football team. And the cheerleaders are going, Yo, Yale! Yo, Yale! This isn't like that. This comes bubbling up from inside me. And it's always there. It's ever present. It never goes away. A man said to me one time, he said, Well, you've got to get up every morning. You've got to rededicate your life to God. And you've got to do this. And you've got to do that. And you've got to do this so that you can get, get right you know every day I said no sir I said I go to sleep filled I wake up I sleep filled I wake up filled I walk around filled I am filled with the life of Christ so that's what I learned from Brother Grubb that day Would you, did you want to talk there you have something to say <laughs> well I, th- I think I'm about, I'm about run out of steam here I don't know what else you can say. It's, yes, yes, ma'am. I was going to say that we knew Norman Brother too. Yes, I know. Yeah, back in '69. Uh huh. We had a week conference up in New Hampshire, and Norman is exactly how Fred describes him. He don't talk much; he makes statements. Mm-hmm. So you can't get a and you and you have to be careful to listen to that because his English accent is so strong and he's for a poet. You've got to really listen to his statements. But the statements that he makes are profound. Oh, absolutely. And just sort of whoa, because you, we're expecting what we've been used to these dissertations of mm-hmm. God knows what. But he just nailed it. I mean, <laughs> but there's a story about he went to a, he went to a conference on prayer, and he was invited to be a speaker at this big conference on prayer. So he comes up to the front, place is filled with, you know, 
500 people, something like that. He goes, I don't pray anymore. Well, about three-fourths of the people got up and walked out. And then he gave his message. Because his message was, I am prayer. I live prayer. I pray, you know, I used to pray, to try to do that, what Paul said. Pray without ceasing. And I know you all know what I'm talking about. And then one day I realized this is always going on inside me. This prayer of the Holy Spirit is always there. Sometimes it comes out of my mouth, but inside my heart and inside my mind and inside my spirit, it is continuous. It never stops. There is, I can always draw from the well. The well is always bubbling over. He that believes out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And that's all I've done. That's all I've done is just believe. Because I'm telling you, I started out in Rome, Georgia as a hippie and I moved to California with $180 because the Lord said to and that was enough gas to get there and He sent us that much money and I got there and I had a broken car so I could suck. I couldn't go back because the car died when we got there. We laid hands on it in Albuquerque and, and, and it got us the rest of the way to Monterey and then I was, I was stuck there for seven years and that's where the Lord stuck me. But I've gone, I've gone from Northern California to England to Canada to Florida all over the United States and never had any money. <laughs> the Lord has just sent me places. The Lord has just said, go here, go there, go here, go there. Well, how am I going to do it? Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And things just work out. Norman used to say, when you live a life of faith, things just turn up. They just turn up. And then, you know, people can say, well, well, I can say, well, I, I you know, I had to do this and the, the, the Lord provided this. And they'll go, well, that's just a coincidence. I said, well, maybe so. But all I can tell you is the coincidences keep piling up. There's a whole lot of them going on. Lots and lots and lots of coincidences. The Lord provides. The Lord does His will through us. And then I'm just a guy, and all I said was, okay, Lord, I believe. That's all it is. Lord, I believe. And then I found out I couldn't even do that. I said, Lord, listen, I can't even believe. You're going to have to do the believing for me. And so now I just get to walk along and He's just kind of doing it all and yet it's me. Nobody can explain that. It doesn't make sense to the mind. It doesn't make sense to the natural reasoning mind of man that it's not me, it's He, but it's me. See, I live in a union where He and I are one person and yet He's He and I'm me. As He said, you look in the mirror, who do you see? You see Jesus Christ the Lord. And you change from glory to glory. That's all it is. It's not from good to better, or from bad to good, or from, from less to more. It's just from glory to glory to glory to glory. It's all glory. All glory. All glory. And all you do is just say, Lord, here am I. Send me. And He does the rest. That's all I have to say. Thank you.